Welcome to the Battle Cry Podcast with Convention of States Action President Mark Meckler. You can watch the original live broadcast Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Convention of States Facebook and Rumble channels. Tastes like freedom. That's what I'm saying. I love a good glass of whiskey on a Friday night, maybe even on a Sunday night occasionally. Uh, and I love even more than a good glass of whiskey, our new limited edition whiskey glasses with this leather holder that says tastes like freedom on it. On the back side, it actually has my signature. This is a limited edition. We literally only made a hundred of these. And you know, like I said, I like a good glass of whiskey, but man, I love the smell of leather too. So this is made out of real leather. You can see the stitching on the side. This thing's really cool. You can get yours, by the way, by going to conventionofstates.com forward slash store while they last. And I'm guessing they aren't going to last for very long. Maybe they'll all be gone this evening because this is the first time we're actually actively promoting them. So go to conventionofstates.com forward slash store and get your Taste Like Freedom limited edition Mark Meckler whiskey glass with the, mm, love the smell of that leather holder. Hey, also, I want to tell you guys, I don't know about you, but I spend a lot of time, probably way too much time on this thing, my device, uh, my cell phone. And I know that mobile carriers, the what we call big mobile now, they give tons of money, literally millions and millions of dollars a year to causes that you don't like, to causes that run against your values, to things that you don't believe in. And so why keep giving your money to them? I know it's because of the great customer service that you get from them, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't think great customer service and mobile have ever gone hand in hand. And that is until now. Our friends at Patriot Mobile have stepped up and they're giving great pricing to Convention of States folks. So if you want to sign up, if you want to quit giving money to a company that hates you, you want to give your dollars, you want to switch your mobile service like I'm doing over to Patriot Mobile. You can do that at patriotmobile.com. And then we have a special code for you which is Patriot COS. So if you go to patriotmobile.com, use Patriot COS, then what happens there is they're going to waive your initiation fee. So you go right in, you're going to get the great service, you're going to get great customer service, you're going to be dealing with American Patriots. I guarantee you're going to be a lot happier every time you talk on this device than you are right now. So that's my action call for this week. Instead of just talking on your phone, do something more than talk, sign up for Patriot Mobile, take the dollars away, from Big Mobile. So this week, the news is full of stuff, as always. Most of it bad stuff, as almost always. Here's a story that could be good, but it's actually bad, in my opinion. And the story is about Hunter Biden pleading guilty. And it could be good because Hunter Biden, I think, is guilty of sin on a whole bunch of really serious charges. So that seems like a good thing, a little bit of justice done. But the reality is, this is justice escaped. Hunter Biden, for all his misdeeds, for traveling around the world, flying around the world on Air Force One with his dad, collecting bags of cash from Lord knows where, every country under the sun, certainly from Ukraine, and <coughs> excuse me, and Burisma, certainly in deals with the CCP. For all of that stuff, Hunter Biden pleads guilty to two misdemeanor tax evasion charges. Misdemeanor, by the way, he didn't pay over $1.2 million in tax. I'm not sure how that's a misdemeanor. And certainly every IRS, former IRS agent that's testified about this says nobody else would ever be charged with a misdemeanor for that. Uh, also, by the way, he paid back that tax liability. No, 
question as to where he got that money since he doesn't seem to have ever been gainfully employed uh, unless you call making homemade porn and smoking crack on videos to be employed. I don't consider that employment. So where do you get the money to pay that back? How's he end up with these two misdemeanor charges? And then here's the one that really smokes me. So he was charged with lying on a federal firearms application. So when you apply for your background check, one of the things that you have to assert is that you're not currently under the influence of drugs. You're not a regular drug user, drug abuser. And of course, in his uh, biography that he wrote, he says that he was smoking crack every 15 minutes. In other words, he was a crack addict all the time. And he lied about that on his application. And normally that will get you years, not exaggerating, years in prison, especially when associated with other crimes to which he has admitted, like habitual crack use, like he hasn't admitted, but collecting all this money from foreign governments, like tax evasion, normally people go to jail for this stuff. There, there's not a lot of leniency on this stuff. I guarantee you, if you did this, if you lied on a form where you were filing for a background check for your federal, uh, going through the federal background check system, you're going to jail. I'd be going to jail. So the idea that he doesn't go to jail for that, and re let's remember also what happened to the gun that he bought, it gets thrown in a trash can and then disappears. This is good, right? So thrown in a trash can by his girlfriend, his brother-in-law's former wife, I'm sorry, his brother's former wife, his former sister-in-law throws it in a trash can, I think because she probably thinks it's not safe for him to have a handgun, which is probably true since he's smoking crack all the time and hanging out with prostitutes. Anyway, he gets a slap on the wrist and not even really a slap on the wrist. By the way, this is a guy now who's been convicted of tax evasion over $1.2 million. This is a guy who lied on a federal firearms license. He's still going to be able to own a gun. Other people who commit like purely white collar crimes, you know, they get convicted of tax evasion, but maybe they, it's a felony, right? So, they can't ever own a gun again. And this is outrageous stuff. It shows how offensively corrupt our justice system is. Everybody knows, I mean, as you watch the continuing testimony in Congress, Hunter Biden is a corrupt crook and a criminal, and he's part of a criminal syndicate, which is the Biden family. I think more and more of that is coming out. Obviously, Joe Biden has said numerous times he knew nothing about this stuff. There's now evidence coming out, very clear evidence. He knew all about his son's business dealings. So. I just think it's outrageous and it's offensive and it shows what bad shape our DOJ and our FBI are in. I think the FBI needs to be bulldozed. I literally think they had to tear it to the ground. They had to take the J. Edgar Hoover building named after the most corrupt guy ever in the history of the FBI. And they had to just literally deconstruct it. They ought to implode it, drop it to the ground, scrape it and build a park there and create a permanent, say, environmental easement so nobody can ever build it. And if we want to reconstruct something like the FBI, they have a limited amount of functions that they're important for. That headquarters ought to be placed out of Washington, D.C., I don't know, maybe Kansas City or maybe Missouri, right? I, I mean, uh, not Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas, maybe Dallas, Texas, somewhere that's in a conservative part of the country, maybe even go to a small town that's very conservative. So you populate it with people who have the right kinds of values. We're going to uphold law and order, not who are going to corrupt law and order. So talking about these agencies that are so corrupt, we certainly know how corrupt they are because we're witnessing with our own two eyes every day. But we also now have John Durham testifying about the Durham report before Congress. And he explained in no uncertain terms how corrupt 
the FBI was, how they knew that the information that they were acting on came from the Clinton campaign. They knew that this was election tampering at the highest level, and they actually used, they were used, the FBI was used to launder this information from the Clinton campaign through the FBI to the media to affect the election. So when we talk about election fraud, yeah, I mean, I think we should and we can talk about the machines. I think the machines can be easily fraudulently manipulated. So all of that stuff is true. Stuffing ballot boxes, uh, all the ballot harvesting, all that stuff is all true. But the bottom line is the biggest amount of election fraud that we saw came from the media, the FBI, the Obama administration. Or I remember you've got the Obama administration approved all of this garbage, uh, these attacks on President Trump. So this is all manipulation by our law enforcement agencies proving absolutely unabashedly they are enemies of the people and they are servants of our self-appointed aristocrats whom they consider themselves to be part of. So if you have any idea, any notion that you could trust the FBI, the CIA, the DOJ, federal law enforcement of any kind, the IRS, you should disabuse yourself of that notion. You should watch the Durham testimony. Also watch the Democrats like they're just trying to take him apart on a personal level for no reason other than they don't like the results of his investigation. But it seemed to me it's a very straight up investigation. I was impressed with how John Durham behaved there, uh, testifying before Congress for over five hours. I think you will be too. If you haven't watched it, go watch some of the highlights. He did a great job. So we have now, we're in the middle of, what is this, the uh, 25th of the month. We have Pride Month going on. And first of all, I want to say about Pride Month, just one of the most offensive ideas generally I've ever heard of. And why do I say that? It has nothing to do with the alphabet soup people. Uh, of course, Pride Month is all about celebrating the alphabet soup people. But what it has really to do with is celebrating a sin, literally a biblical sin, something that the Bible says is one of the worst sins, pride. I mean, I, I understand all sins are equal. By the way, Winston's coming in. He's probably coming in to show off his new, I'll show it to you right here. This is his new COS bandana. See, he appropriately interceded. You can get your pet bandana, your COS pet bandana. Winston and Levi proudly wearing theirs. All right, I'll put this back on you, buddy. I know you don't want me to take it off you. So <laughs> I'm sorry for the sidelight there. Conventionofstates.com forward slash store. So we have pride and the pride month is celebrating a sin, which is being proud. And these folks are saying that they're proud of what they do sexually. They're proud of who they are attracted to sexually. And it's the alphabet soup of pride. So it's the transgender pride. It's the whatever pansexual pride, asexual. I mean, the, okay, it's really hard for me to even talk about this. So I think they're celebrating something that at its essence, this idea of pride about who you choose to have sex with or how you relate to people sexually is both disgusting and sinful. But praise God. It's blown up in their faces. Everything has gone terribly wrong in Pride Month. Uh, you've got the whole Target bash, backlash. You've got the whole uh, backlash against Bud Light, which has now lost something like 26% of its market value. The company, AB Bev, AB International Bev, has lost like 26% of its market value. So everything's going wrong in Pride Month, and it continues to go wrong. Uh, yesterday also, or sorry, this week also, there was a Pride hearing in the Senate, and Riley Gaines testified at that hearing. Riley Gaines, of course, is one of the swimmers that competed against Leah Thomas, the man, the dude, the guy with his full genitals intact that's pretending 
to be a woman swimming against men and winning the NCAA championships. So Riley Gaines is there. I think she's a stud. She steps up. She's willing to be in the limelight, willing to fight against this madness. Anyway, she steps up. There's another woman who is a, quote, I don't know what is trans expert, trans activist, gender expert, whatever that means. And she is asked by Ted Cruz if there is a difference between a man and a woman. Is there a difference between men and women? It's not a hard question. Like any kindergartner can answer that question. People who are four years old can answer that question. I mean, maybe maybe my dog could answer that question. If he could talk, he could definitely answer the question. He actually treats female dogs differently than he treats male dogs. So he this witness is asked, this female witness is asked, uh, pardon me for assuming her gender, if there's a difference between men and women. And she cannot answer the question. She refuses to answer the question. Now we know for sure that she knows the answer to that question. She knows, of course, because she's not a moron. Well, maybe I'm overstating the case. Maybe she is a moron, but she absolutely knows that men and women are different and that there are inherent differences between men and women. And she just simply dodges the question and refuses to answer the question. Later, there's a question by Senator Kennedy, and he asks uh, the witness about, is there an inherent advantage for men competing against women in women's sports? And she again dodges the question. She says she doesn't think there are any examples of that. And then she makes the mistake of mentioning Serena Williams. And Riley Gaines jumps in and says, well, I can give you a specific example. You brought up Serena Williams. Serena and Venus Williams played a tennis match against the 230th ranked male, and he smoked him in straight sets. And when I say he smoked him, let me just clarify what I mean by smoked him. Yeah, he beat him real bad. But what I mean by that is he actually was smoking cigarettes and drinking beers between sets. So is there an inherent advantage? Absolutely. Am I saying that Venus and Serena Williams aren't two of the greatest tennis players ever to live, female tennis players ever to live? <coughs> they are. I mean, they're incredible athletes in their own regard, but no female athlete at the highest level can compete against a male athlete at the highest level. Riley Gaines said that her husband was also an NCAA swimmer, that he was much more uh, ranked much lower than her in national rankings, that he was not near as competitive as she was nationally. But if they get in the pool together, she was going to get beat every time by her husband because he's a man, she's a woman. And ask yourself, do you know the difference? Of course you do. If you didn't know the difference, you wouldn't be watching this show. So I think kudos to Riley Gaines, kudos to the Republicans for how they handled that hearing. And good Lord, Democrats, seriously, just figure out the difference between a man and a woman. It's not that hard. So the politics continue, whether we're talking about sexuality, whether we're talking about Joe Biden's conviction, and the politics continue with the left trying to denigrate and destroy the legitimacy of conservatives on the Supreme Court. There's been a long smear campaign against Justice Thomas. It's heated up recently. That smear campaign, there's been a long smear campaign against Justice Kavanaugh. You saw it when he was being confirmed. And now there's a massive smear campaign being conducted against Justice Alito and saying that he did something illegal. He took a ride on a private plane to a hunting trip with a donor. Uh, you know, somebody's of the donor class, of course, didn't donate to him but they're claiming that this should have been reported. Now, this is the interesting part of this story. It's not just the fact that Samuel Alito did nothing wrong. He did nothing wrong. He absolutely comported with all reporting rules and regulations. He consulted with everybody he was supposed to consult with beforehand. Other judges did the same thing. 
but it's the way that Alito handled this media situation. So what happened is the ProPublica, the organization that was going to publish this report, reached out to him prior to publication and asked for his comment. I get this happening to me all the time. People are going to do a smear piece on you. And so they actually send you a bunch of questions. You can tell what they're going to write by the questions that they send. And they want you to engage with them and try to refute them. And the reason they want you to do that is because then they can quote you out of context, put in 10% of what you actually say. So they get the chance to say that they gave you a fair shake and this is what you said, but they never give you a fair shake. Nobody in the corporate leftist media and apologize for being redundant, but the corporate leftist media, that's one and the same. None of them are going to have any conservative affair shake. And it was clear that ProPublica was going to do a hit job on Samuel Alito. So he did something very unique and creative. He did what I do, which is he didn't respond to them because you shouldn't. They're not going to give you a fair shake. But then because of his lofty position, he was able to go to the Wall Street Journal. And the Wall Street Journal agreed to run an op-ed from him in advance attacking the piece that was about to be released by ProPublica. And so his piece in the Wall Street Journal was released five hours before that piece in ProPublica. And he talked about how shameful they were, how this was not real journalism. He got to tell his entire story and it just completely undermined and undercut what ProPublica was about to do. And they whined about it. They complained about it. How, how dare he do this? How dare Wall Street Journal undermine journalism? The reality is Wall Street Journal did journalism. They scooped ProPublica. They did the factual journalism instead of the smear journalism. So good for Wall Street Journal and good for Justice Alito. Proud of both of them. It's a great story. And you should definitely read uh, Justice Alito's piece in the Wall Street Journal. Okay, now I'm going to do something that I don't advise everybody do. You got to have a thick skin if you're going to do what I am about to do. I have a thick skin. I get attacked a lot. I get attacked from people on the left and the right. It doesn't keep me from saying what I believe. And I think all of you, all of us should always say what we believe. But this is a dangerous area. I'm going to wade into DeSantis versus Trump. <laughs> I know, I know. I should take another sip of this before I do that, right? Don't forget, you can get your Taste Like Freedom whiskey glass, by the way. I'm drinking soda, not whiskey, just in case you were wondering. Nothing against drinking whiskey. I like my whiskey, but not while I'm on there. Anyway, um, I'm going to wade into this, and uh, I'm going to do my fake shot of whiskey before I wade into it, because I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me, and I know Trump supporters are going to be mad at me, and I know DeSantis supporters are going to be mad at me, but I'm going to do what I always do with you guys, and I'm just going to give you my view on things, my opinion, and the truth from my perspective. Okay, so... Trump, I mean, he's just a slugger, a warrior, a combatant, and I love that stuff, right? I want somebody out there who's going to pump me up, who's going to be in the fight, who's going to go full-blown, smash mouth with his opponents, attack hard, uh, be really aggressive. I love all of that kind of stuff, and I actually think in the era that we're in, it's kind of a mand mandatory part of our politics. Super important that we have somebody who's willing to really go to war and do it aggressively. And I think Trump's been as good as anybody at doing that. I think he was a really good president. I think in his policies and what he enacted, the most conservative president in my lifetime, I think we 
got the Dobbs case overturning Roe versus Wade because Trump was willing to promote the right people to sit on the court. And then he was willing to stand in there and fight for those people. So I think we owe Donald Trump a lot. I think he reset the world stage in a way that was really good. Unfortunately, much of that reversed by Joe Biden. I think Trump's policies towards Israel, moving the embassy, historic move. I think he, he shook up the Middle East and realigned the Middle East. Some of that being reversed, unfortunately, by the Biden administration. But I think that we owe a lot. I think we owe a debt of gratitude to Donald Trump. So thank you to the Don and for all the stuff that he did and for running for president and for being willing to run again. Now, I think there are some downsides to the way Donald Trump is behaving right now. I think if you look at his interview on Brett Baer about the pending criminal case, I think that was stupid to be blunt. I think it was a ridiculous interview. I think his lawyers have to be very unhappy about that. I can tell you as a lawyer, I was very unhappy with a lot of stuff that he said. I just don't think it was a wise move on his part. The wise move would have been to say this is a pending criminal case. I think the whole thing is a scam and a sham and a witch hunt and all of that stuff. And then he should have refused to answer any specific questions. And I think he did himself some real harm, some real damage. And I don't think that Brett Bear was out to get him. I think Brett Bear was asking fair questions as a real journalist should. And so I thought it was a good interview in the sense that it was fair and well-placed. And I just don't think Donald Trump did a good job of handling that. I would also say about the campaigns that are being run, I don't think Donald Trump is doing a great job uh, putting out his policy. And what's he going to do? He's, he's making it a referendum on Donald Trump. And while I know that that appeals to a lot of the base, and I understand why that gets people worked up, and I get it, I feel the same emotions. What's been done to Donald Trump is not only unjust, it's unconstitutional, it's not only that, but it's undermining our republic, it's undermining the rule of law. That's not the reason to vote for Donald Trump. You've got to believe he can win the election in 2024, and you've got to believe he's going to do the right things once in office. And so I want to know what's he going to do specifically, and he doesn't talk much about that talks mostly about the witch hunt and how he didn't lose the last election and how unjust it's going to be. I want to know how he's going to win 2024. And I feel like I'm not hearing enough of that. And I'm hearing too much about the witch hunt. So look, that's the good and the bad from my perspective right now on Donald Trump. And a short version, there's a lot more good and there's a lot more bad that we could talk about, but I can't do it all in a single show. Okay, let's flip over to Ron DeSantis. Undeniably, in my opinion, the best governor in the United States of America right now. He's doing fantastic stuff. Uh, and all his stuff on the woke stuff. I think his fight with Disney is just. All his stuff on gender ideology, the way he's reformed the schools in Florida. They're now considered the best schools in the United States of America. What he's doing in Florida's university system. He takes no guff from people on the left. He takes no guff from reporters. So all of that stuff, I think absolutely fantastic. I think I would say the weakness, he's not all that exciting. You know, I got to see him speak at NRB. I would give his speech a solid B. It was not an A-level speech. And I think you have to be a really good, like exciting, pumped up rhetorician in these days. You have to be very likable. You have to be very passionate. And I think there's time for him to do that. But I think he's going to have to pump the game up a couple notches, especially he's in a fist fight with a showman like Donald Trump. Now, that doesn't mean that Ron DeSantis has to be Donald Trump or has to copy Donald Trump. I just think he has to up his game in that regard a couple of notches. I would say also his explanations of foreign policy have been kind of weak, in my opinion. 
I'd like to see a good sit down with a good interviewer. And I want to hear about seriously, what's he going to do on the world stage? I want to know where he stands on the UN, for example. I want to know where he stands exactly on Russia, Ukraine. I think he's been a little bit weak on that. And I'm kind of in the middle on that thing. So it's not that I'm saying he has to be anti-Russia or anti-Ukraine or anti-being engaged in the conflict. I just want to know exactly where he stands. I want to know where he stands exactly on the CCP, what he thinks we ought to do in dealing with communist China. Communist China now setting up a base in Cuba, communist China setting up all over South America. What are we going to do about that? This is a serious and existential threat. So I think he's been kind of weak on the foreign policy stuff. And frankly, also on the economy stuff. I don't know exactly what he's going to do on the economy. I want to hear him talk more about that. Specifically, what's he going to do? And again, I'm going to get attacked because people are going to say he has policy proposals on his website. You can go read all of that. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't delved into all that. I'm just not seeing him present that well in public on all of that stuff. That being said, I'm really glad both these guys are in the race. I want, I think either of them would be a true conservative. I want a true conservative standard bearer in the race. As far as the other folks in the race, maybe something catastrophic happens and one of us ends, one of them ends up being something. You never know right now. Sometimes the front runners, something happens and people who were never thought of as a front runner, like Donald Trump, end up being a front runner. Uh, but I don't see a spot for Asa Hutchinson. Well, like, What's his slogan? Join me in the hutch hut. We're going to trans the kids. I don't see a slot for Chris Christie, who is just eating everybody's lunch. I mean, really eating everybody's lunch, it looks like. I don't see a spot in it for Tim Scott, who seems to be, from my perspective, a little bit milk toast for what Republicans are looking for right now. I don't see a spot for Nikki Haley, who I just don't think is a true blue conservative. Uh, I don't think she can be the standard bearer of the party. Mike Pence, I think, is the past of the party. I don't think anybody who's a Trump supporter is looking to support Mike Pence. So I just don't see any, maybe it's Suarez, Mayor Suarez from Miami, right? Who was all alphabet soup person, all rainbow coalition person until maybe five minutes ago. I don't even know where he stands on those important cultural issues. So I just don't think I see anybody in the race that can challenge right now DeSantis and Trump. And I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to watch both of them. I'm going to call balls and strikes like I see them. And that probably means I just pissed a lot of people off. So you can write to us, obviously. Uh, you can put your comments in. I'll deal with your comments. I'm happy to take ones who hate me because of what I just said about either Trump or DeSantis. Up to you guys. But, you know, don't shoot the messenger. All right. Uh, here's an interesting one. This is a complete tangent here. I did an interview with a new production studio uh, and a new show a couple of months ago, and I met a guy that I had never met before who I've come to really know and love. His name's Brett Craig. And Brett Craig was an advertising executive on the West Coast in Los Angeles for an agency called Deutsch. And when the BLM thing happened and Deutsch was completely woke, as you would imagine, for a Hollywood advertising agency, Brett's their creative director. And so he's over there. He's in the midst of this. And they literally wanted him to take a knee to BLM. They wanted him to put the black square on his page and to say a bunch of DI or DEI stuff that he wouldn't say. And he just said, I'm not doing it. And he took a stand and ultimately got fired and it destroyed his career. Well, he's got a new show uh, talking to interesting people about interesting things mostly. So for some reason in the midst of that, he decided to have me on and we did about an hour and 20 minutes or so sit down interview 
And the first one, it came out this week. So if you look up uh, Brett Craig, C-R-A-I-G, The Big Picture, and Mark Meckler, you'll find that on YouTube. A producer G can put that up on the screen too. So that went live on Thursday. It's getting a bunch of traction. I think it's an interesting interview. We talk about politics in America. I talk about my history going all the way back prior to the time I was involved in politics. And this part of the interview ends with about six minutes on Convention of States. I think there will be another episode released next week where we'll do the second half of the interview. That's all Convention of States. Two things I want you to notice, just two guys sitting on camera talking. The production values that these guys are coming out with are absolutely spectacular. I think you're going to love it. It's different than most podcasts you'll see. It's not just a guy sitting in a room behind a microphone talking to somebody over Skype. This is two guys sitting face to face, uh, no headphones on. We're actually having a real conversation. Great production values. Again, Brett Craig, the big picture, and producer G will put that up on the screen so you can find it. Let's talk before we close out today. Uh, what's going on with COS right now? Pretty much all North Carolina. And North Carolina has passed in the House. We're in the Senate. We've been bogged down in the Senate because of the budget. Apparently, they're done with the budget now. We're getting ready to be talked about in caucus. I don't know what's going to happen. They got no excuse for not passing this now. I believe the votes are in place. The question is, will they have the fortitude to bring it out of caucus? Because sometimes you get people who tell you they're going to vote for it, and then they're not being honest because they're saying in caucus, well, if you force it out of committee, I will vote for it. I don't want to, so please don't force it out of committee. And we've had a lot of that in North Carolina. I'm going to be in North Carolina at the state capitol on next Wednesday. Uh, we're going to do what we call a surge. We're going to be there with a bunch of grassroots. We're going to be lobbying the legislature. I'll be there if you're in North Carolina, if you can get to Raleigh, I'll see you there. And we're not going to do a rally. We're just going to do a surge. Our goal is get inside the Capitol, talk to the legislators. That's what we do best. All right, I'm going to go to Q&A before we close it out. This is always my favorite part. So first is from Bevin Corbin. What do you think about the timing of the Trump case in relation to the Biden investigation? Yeah, I think they're definitely tied together. I think if you think that they're not, you're being naive. I think the Trump case was brought out to to make the Biden investigation kind of go away and fade into the background. And you notice in the mainstream media, for the most part, it has. I think Republicans are doing a good job in the House of continuing to elevate that. I hope we continue to blow it up. I think Biden is corrupt as the day is long. I think the evidence right now really heavily points to the fact that Biden himself, Joe Biden, as vice president, took money for things for acting against the interests of the United States, for acting on behalf of China and for certainly acting on behalf of Burisma, on behalf of his son and Burisma in Ukraine. So I think this is just evil, bad stuff. And I think it's going to be exposed. And I think one of the things we're going to say, see, because they prosecuted Biden is if we can win the election, and I say if, because you got to have a good candidate and we got to prevent election fraud. And a lot of that is in stopping using these machines. We're not doing that fast enough. Uh, but I think if we win the election, there's going to be a prosecution of Biden and I think we ought to prosecute a lot of people. And when I say a lot of people, I mean a lot of people. And I think we ought to have absolutely no mercy. And I think Biden ought to be prosecuted. I think Ray ought to be prosecuted. I think Comey ought to be prosecuted. I think all these people ought to be prosecuted. It's not enough that people just say, oh, they did a bad thing. There have to be criminal penalties in any place there can be. There should be. And we should stretch as hard as we could to find criminal penalties, to find criminal reasons to prosecute. Local DAs ought to look at ways to prosecute Biden and his crime family and all these other people. Because if we don't escalate, if we as conservatives don't escalate when we have the power to escalate, then they'll keep escalating and we'll keep losing. So we can't allow that to happen. 
Uh, Tammy Mercury says, how do we get candidates? They all know what to say to get elected, but then they go to Washington. Look, Tammy, I mean, this has been a problem forever. People go to Washington and they don't always do what they say they're going to do. And our job is to prove that we can unelect them over and over. It's particularly powerful if you can put somebody in for a term and then throw them out the next term. That sends a powerful message. And I know this is hard and I know it's a slog and I know it's the long haul, but that's the haul that we have to do. Right? Our job is to be in it cycle after cycle after cycle and to prove to them we can put you in and we can take you out. Uh, David Ori says, can government legally display the rainbow flag at the White House? I think the answer is yes. They can display whatever they want at the White House. I think it was uh, at least against regulation. The flag code, I believe, is a regulation. I, I don't think it's a law. And so to, to have the pride flag above the United States flag like that was actually, uh, I think, a violation of the flag code, but probably not illegal. Probably not something you could prosecute. Uh, one thing I want to say about that is you have to understand that the pride flag is the new flag of the United States of America for the left, for Democrats. They see that as the flag that you all have to bow down to. They're ashamed, remember, of the United States flag. They, they take it down at some events. They don't like the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't say the Pledge of Allegiance. They don't like the Star Spangled Banner. It's imperialism. It's colonialism. But they love the pride flag. To them, that is the new flag of the United States of America. And by the way, they intend to force you to kneel in front of that flag. Donnie Girl says, how do we approach pastors about getting people inspired? You know, Donnie, I think this is really one of the most important things that we can do is in our own churches, as Christians, in our synagogues, as Jews, in our mosques, as Muslims, if you're a America-loving Muslim, we have an obligation to step up and demand that the leaders of those institutions take a step and a stand in favor of the United States of America, in favor of liberty, in favor of freedom. We've lost a lot of churches. I can tell you that for sure as a Christian. The pastors, they say, well, we're in the business of saving souls and nothing else. Well, the bottom line is the Bible does not say that you shouldn't engage in politics. It does not say that if you engage in politics, you shouldn't be a Christian. You shouldn't bring your faith to politics. There is no such thing as a constitutional separation of church and state. And I don't believe that you can ethically or morally do politics without reference to some kind of moral or religious code. And in the case of the left, this new moral and religious code is secular humanism. It's not neutral. It's biased. It's anti-religious. It's anti the things that you and I believe about God, about faith, about government. And they're imposing it on you. So our job is not to impose our faith on them, but is to absolutely bring our faith into the, into the political sphere. And pastors should be talking about it. I would have them uh, look at the history of the Black Robe Regiment. I would have them listen to David Barton. I would have them listen to Rick Green, uh, understand what it means to be a biblical citizen. And if your church won't do that stuff, you probably have to find a new church. I wouldn't give up immediately. I would push. I'd get a lot of people to push. But if you can't, go find a new church. Let's see. Chuck C says, what five states would you like to most see join the COS? In other words, not which ones will, but what I would like the most. Man, I would say I'm going to name the liberal states, right? I'd love to see uh, California and New York and Illinois and New Jersey, uh, maybe Delaware, Oregon or Washington. Those are the states I would most aspire to join convention states. Why do I say that? Because it's not a partisan issue. 
because this is not about imposing right-wing policies on the country. It's about taking power away from Washington, D.C. and giving it back to the states. Uniquely, we had Gavin Newsom say he wanted an Article 5 convention, maybe the only notable leftist in the United States of America that's come out in favor that is not worried about um, what's going on with regard to the runaway convention. Like he hasn't bought into that argument apparently. So he stands against the left on that, which I'm not sure he knows that, but that's where he is. So anyway, I'd love to see a bunch of left-wing, uh, left-wing leaning states, left-wing states jump in. Uh, Jim Anders wants to know, what is this convention of states actually going to do for the citizenry of the USA? Is it a transfer of power abuse from one government to another? And I think Jim is being a little bit sarcastic about that. Is it a transfer meaning? Is it going to be just a transfer of power abuse from Washington, D.C. to the states? And I think the answer to that is based on human nature. Of course it is, Jim, because people aren't angels. People are sinners and people are fallen and people are flawed, whether you're in Washington, D.C. or whether you're in the states. The difference is in the states, you can affect your state legislature much more easily than you can affect the federal government. You can go sit down with your state rep. You can go sit down with your state senator. I guarantee you, you can arrange meetings with those people. You don't even have to be a donor. You don't have to be a big corporation. You don't have to be a power player in your community. They will ultimately meet with you. You can meet them face-to-face at a town hall. If you go to the Capitol, you can meet them at their offices. So you have much more influence. You can run for office as a state legislator much more easily. I'd love to see you be in your your local legislature, Jim. I'd love you to be uh, Representative Enders or Senator Enders. You have the opportunity to do that. So it's not that the states are so much better. It's that the founders and the framers understood that the states were closer to the people. We could have more effect on them there. Jan Azell asks, why can't each state have their own government or why can't we have a regional government? We have too much government in Washington. Well, Jan, that's what the Constitution sets up. That's what federalism is. Each state is an independent sovereign entity which ceded certain enumerated powers to the federal government, 17 enumerated powers under the United States Constitution. Everything else they're supposed to do on their own. But the Supreme Court has granted power to an overreaching Congress and an overreaching president for over a century. And so now we have the states essentially mostly subservient to the federal government, and we can fix that. That's what a convention of states is all about. Kevin Carman asked, when are you coming back to Pittsburgh? I'll come back. I promise. Soon as I'm invited and the grassroots organize it, I will be back in Pittsburgh. Dale Miller says, COS is a great idea. I've followed politics since Nixon, and this is the real deal. I appreciate that, Dale. And every now and then I ask, get people who ask me, well, are you serious about this? And yesterday I had a phone conversation with a guy who was saying, oh, that's a fun academic exercise. And it kind of pissed me off, to be honest with you. We're not engaged in an academic exercise. We have roughly 5.3 million people out there who are supporters or activists in the movement. We're almost at 2.5 million petitions and people are actually active in their state legislatures. They're getting elected to their state legislatures. They're lobbying in those legislatures. They're active in school board races, getting elected to school boards, influencing school board races, city councils, county governments, you name it. They're active and engaged and involved. So this is the real deal. I agree with you, Dale. And thank you for bringing it up. And thank you for being involved. To all of you, I want to remind you to go to patriotmobile.com and use Patriot COS to sign up. That'll waive all your sign-up fees and your initiation fees. Get great service from a great company that shares your values. Go to conventionofstates.com forward slash store. Get your taste like freedom glass with my signature on the back. Literally only 100 of these made. So I'd love to see them all sell out this weekend. 
Uh, you can also get what I showed you earlier, Winston's new bandana, his Convention of States bandana. That was by special demand. A lot of you guys requested pet gear, so that's the first pet gear we have. Levi's wearing his too, but you know, he's not in the office right now, so I couldn't show it to you. Conventionofstates.com. Sign up today, get involved, click the take action tab and volunteer. See you next week on the battle. This has been the podcast version of the battle cry with Mark Meckler. Visit conventionofstates.com slash pod to learn more. Thank you for listening.